Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on TalkShoe January 8th, 2010. Happy New Year, all. It's wonderful to be recording Biota Live again this year. I did announce uh, at the end of last year that we were going to be moving to the Saturday format. We'll still record for a couple of Fridays leading up to the Saturday format, and then we'll start exploring what we can do on, on Saturdays, either um, earlier uh, in the AM per the uh, previous recordings where we record around 10 AM Pacific on Saturday, or potentially in the kind of midday or late afternoon format, but whatever works. I did receive some correspondence indicating that the earlier in the morning format was better for folks in Europe. I'm very mindful of that, and I'm very mindful that we have a number of European listeners that would like to participate in Biota Live. I know the former participant, Gerald de Jung, uh, has got some news and updates, and it'd be wonderful to have Gerald on in a, in a reasonable time for him. Um, so certainly in a, in a couple of recordings' time, we will move to the Saturday format and start exploring different times and start exploring having different folks on participating in the Biota discussion. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some uh, discussion that's been going through the Biota Conversations mailing list and also fits into some of the stuff that I've been doing recently. I want to say that it was inspired by uh, the spider and the cathedral. What was it called? The Cathedral and the Spider, uh, obviously playing on the Cathedral and the Bazaar, um, which was a, an open source book written, I guess, in the mid-90s, maybe even the early 90s. And also, um, Spiders Just Say No, the two podcasts that Dick Gordon, Gerald Jung, Jeffrey Ventrella and I recorded associated with simulating spiders and then simulating spiders on drugs. Well, there's been some discussion through the Biota Conversations mailing list recently about whether simulating uh, psychoactive substances was something that could be done and was of interest. And this came from Eric Burton, but also Dave Kerr. Um, Dave Kerr's simulation with AI Planet, he inserted, I think, I'm not sure whether they were psychotropic or alcohol-like or um, even uh, analgesic drugs into the simulation environment, and they had a particular effect on the simulated bodies. And I understand that Eric Burton, through crediting, has done something similar. It hasn't really been something that I've considered with Noble 8, but its potential for the, um, particularly the intelligent agents of the simulated environment simulations to offer some kind of, um, I don't know, either slowing or speeding up or some way um, altering the consciousness of the simulated entities. And it's an area that we've not really considered, I guess, in the, in the broader artificial life community. Um, I'm not sure whether the seed actually came from the spider and the bazaar and spiders just say no, uh, but certainly in my own thinking that was a, a point where the community started talking about such things. And speaking on uh, consciousness, I was interviewed in the Sea Realm podcast. And the Sea Realm had had uh, Bruce Damer on uh, probably three previous Sea Realm recordings, but this was my first experience in the Sea Realm podcast with interviewer KMO. And I had a great time, actually. We talked about a lot of stuff associated with the artificial life community. We recorded about an hour and 40 minutes worth of audio, and KMO was only able to use 40 minutes. So he did an amazing editing job, actually, listening to it uh, the first time from the edits. I had an immense sense of fear that he was going to leave in some of the dead ends and miss out some of the more important parts. The only part that I think he really missed out that I wanted to include was some discussion of what artificial life simulators actually did. 
I think there's very little understanding in the kind of broader community, even folks who are moderately sympathetic to the artificial life community, about what this thing, artificial life, is in terms of the day-to-day -day simulation. Bruce Dana has a, a wonderful rap associated with his wife Galen talking about how there aren't a lot of female artificial life simulators because women understand that uh, life is created one peanut butter sandwich at a time. Well, certainly as, a, as a, a practicing artificial life developer and someone who feels that they've made a number of peanut butter sandwiches for their simulation over the years, I think there are a number of things which are metaphorically similar to creating peanut butter sandwiches for your simulation. And certainly I wanted to give that out to um, KMO's audience. Unfortunately, that bit of the, the interview was cut. But it is something that I think about quite a bit, that it's um, our ability to talk on... Uh, some of these philosophical issues, even some of these kind of metaphysics issues, is very much grounded in the kind of experience that we've had as simulation uh, authors. I see Dick Gordon in the chat. Uh, he and I and, and Bruce and Peter Newman have been putting in the midnight hours with regards to the Evo grid over the past couple of weeks. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the work that we've been doing with the Evo grid recently. Obviously, this year is really ramping up to be um, the year of books, and that was the topic that I wanted to discuss on as well. But uh, Dick and Bruce and Peter and I have been meeting on probably two or three times over the week and certainly long, long email chains, uh, which you can actually see most of them on the EvoGrid developer mailing list, just kind of, I don't know, ratcheting down or getting some sense of what this EvoGrid thing is in an applied simulation context. And certainly my own background, my own kind of time in the trenches in terms of developing open source and developing artificial life in particular makes me think that we as a kind of collective group have a body of knowledge that is very useful for, for Bruce and for Peter as they explore some of the problems they encounter in the Evo grid, although there's some debate over whether the Evo grid is currently an artificial life simulation. I certainly think the artificial life simulation community has a lot to offer um, in terms of background experiences. And it was interesting talking with Dick in particular, I think it was probably last Saturday evening, uh, that Dick Bruce and I got together um, on, on Skype to have a long conversation about the EvoCred. And Dick made the point that he didn't think the software, the underlying software, was important um, or whether it was, it was relatively interchangeable in order for the kind of meta concepts of the EvoCred to continue on. And that really shook me as an artificial life developer. I think um, I'm probably talking to people like Jeffrey and Gerald and, and Larry Yeager and Dave Kerr and a number of the folks we've had on previously, John Klein. I guess the software is so intimately part of what we do that we really think of it as philosophy and the theories on top of that as really in some way going down and being replicated in the software. So certainly that was a, a thought that I took away through the week that maybe Dick's point was actually right, that potentially we we over-obsess about the software and, and don't see it really as something which is a, a disposable layer to the, the broader ideas that we are carrying over. And that was a theme that I carried through this week um, from the EvoGrid-related discussion. Bruce is in the period of just like a vast amount of writing, as I think a number of our, a number of us are currently. Um, so when he is... Uh, uh, at a time, it'd be wonderful to have him on the Biota uh, podcast on Biota Live to talk more about the current instantiation of the Evo grid and similarly to have to Peter Newman on as well. My most recent interaction wasn't actually with the Evo grid development. It was listening to some audio uh, that Peter, Bruce and Dick recorded in Second Life and I uh, wrote down copious quantities of notes which I kind of summarised into a series of questions mainly to Peter but also to, to Bruce and Dick.
And yeah, it, it's an interesting project, the Evo Grid, as it kind of gets bolted down now onto actual software. Obviously, Bruce is continuing his visions of the Evo Grid, but uh, I think that's probably the Evo Grid update that Bruce wanted me to provide. So moving on from that, I wanted to talk a little bit about the books that are going to be worked on this year and also the potential for us to self-publish through the... Uh, through the holiday period, I had a look at Lulu.com. My previous experience with regards to online publishing was through Cafe Press. But looking at Lulu, it produces a high-quality product. I was actually quite impressed. And also, it gives the ability to list immediately on Amazon. So you have a, a very real point-of-sales presence in terms of being on Amazon. And also, it's relatively cheap. Um, for example, my original manuals, when... Um, printed on Cafe Press came to about $15 for about 130 pages. And the same, the same book on Lulu comes to about $6, which means we as a community can probably start at least generating text in this kind of, you know, in this kind of environment uh, where, for example, if the academic community, those teaching A-Life, these kind of things were relatively sympathetic, there could be half a dozen books um, from various projects dealing with this specific instance of the projects that could then be presented and sent to academics that were uh, teaching artificial life. I think the ability to, to self-publish currently should not, be, uh, should not be forgotten. And I think certainly Dick um, and others in the community currently are, are planning collections, and this is something that I'm very sympathetic to as well. Uh, but my own experiences with regards to, to publishing seems to indicate that the freedom one has, particularly one one minimises the cost of uh, providing review and editorial copies, is just phenomenal. Um, so I think the ability for us as a community to take the experiences that we've had publishing in collections and actually start developing our own works, uh, be they self-published or be they collected and used as means of approach, is really now. The technology is out there. Many of us have the time. Many of us also have the collections of, of text. I mean, going back through my own writing, I literally have CD-ROMs worth of text uh, that are in a state where, with some editing and some proofing, they, they can be published. And my plan over the next year is to actually utilise Lulu as well as working with uh, Dick, Bruce and others who are publishing books in, in collections through Springer and, and similar publishers. But I kind of started this narrative last year in BiotaLive, but I really do want to emphasise that we as a community uh, possess the raw skills in order to do this. And I think in parallel to this, the academic community is certainly very hungry for these kind of artificial life primary texts. So we shouldn't consider that we need to go through formal publishing outlets. I think within a community, we could probably create our own kind of uh, proofing groups, our own means of, uh, of putting together uh, texts that, if they aren't useful for broader academics, at least can be utilised as kind of inspirational texts and things for folk who are listening into Biota Live and maybe want the ability to take some of the ideas that they hear in Biota Live and, and flip through them as a book. Now, I'm the first to say I don't want to see podcasts being used for some kind of exploitation, and certainly I don't want podcasts to be used to uh, solely sell books or these kind of things. But I think the format is out there, the means to self-publish out there, and really... From my own thinking, it is akin to a lot of the methodologies that we talk about with regards to, to open source. 
I think also all of us in the community have produced a, a good portion of our stuff open source up until now as well. But um, yeah, maybe there's a formal need for uh, for actual publishing. I don't know. I'm willing to hear all kinds of correspondence on that. So if folks want to join the Biota Conversations mailing list, go to the Biota website, biota.org slash podcast, and join in. Start the discussion. What are your own thoughts with regards to self-publishing or getting together in collections? Are books a thing of the past? Should we concentrate purely on creating a vibrant online community? Should we use social networks or the ways that we can be exploiting things like podcasts more in terms of getting the message out? I'd like to think that all these things were available to us, but certainly um, in recent weeks I've been exploring Lulu with regards to publishing, and I think the ability, particularly for those of us that are generating a lot of text, I know Dave Kerr, for example, writes a lot, um, both fiction and non-fiction associated with artificial life, these these avenues should be considered. Maybe I'm just talking in terms of personal luxury as well, because I'd really like to enjoy a, a book written by Dave Kerr or Gerald de Jong or Jeffrey Ventrella or Bruce Damer or any of the folks that appear on this podcast on a regular basis. And really, it's just a matter of time, commitment, and um, some degree of, uh, I don't know, pay long-term planning in terms of actually pulling these kind of things together. So that's just a seed I wanted to put out into the community. I know we have Dick Gordon in the chat, and uh, obviously Dick's background with regards to publishing is long and esteemed, and he currently is uh, talking about putting together at least two um, artificial life collections in the near future. And I know we're expecting to have Liz Swan on shortly, and Liz also uh, has been talking quite a bit about the uh, uh, the ability of the community to uh, to get behind a book or two. So that was really that whole wrap uh, about publishing. 